Hello and thank you so much for joining us. My name is Cedric Bailey and I tell you what, I am so excited uh, to have these two beautiful people with me. I'm going to go with ladies first. We have Angela and that's Angela Watson Rajay. Is that how I pronounce that? Uh, it should be Angela Walton Raji. Okay, I want to make sure I got that right. Angela Walton <laughs> okay. Raji. And then we have yeah. from California, Mr. Terry Ligon. Terry, how are you doing today? Well, that's Ligon in Oklahoma and Texas, but in California, it's Ligon. Now, see there? That's what I wanted to hear you say. <laughs> because you know what? I produced the show for the legendary Joe Ligon of the Mighty Clouds of Joy, okay. and he's a good the friend Mighty of mine. Of joy. And he is originally... Right. I, if I had a dollar for you, every time somebody asked me if I was related <laughs> to him, I'd be a rich man. <laughs> and he made his home down in Beaumont, Texas, Port Arthur area, and uh, was well known with the Mighty Clouds of Joy for many years, and he's a good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. today is... Uh, uh, this is February. It's Black History Month, and folks, I want to let you know uh, I, I got to give credit to where it's due to Dr. Dorsine Spigner Littles, who introduced me to Terry, and then Terry introduced me to Angela, and she's the one because we had this this meeting. And Terry, you were on the conference call that we had a little bit uh, in Tatum, Oklahoma. Okay, right, right, right. So here we go. We're in the month of February. It's Black History Month. You know, my phone. <laughs> My dad and everybody's been reaching out to me and saying, Cedric, you know so much about black history. And I said, yeah, I do, but I know people who know more than I do. And so I said, well, why don't I just create a podcast and let's talk about black history in Oklahoma. But, but, but you, just, you can't just do in Oklahoma because there was Indian territory and I have with me these experts that can tell us. And I just want to pick it up uh, from the time period. And before I do... Angela, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then Terry, follow behind her a little bit about yourself so people can know what you guys do as you deal with research and all kinds of uh, information. Sure, I'd be happy to. Well, I claim both Oklahoma and Arkansas as my home. My hometown was on the Arkansas line, Fort Smith, where the well-discussed these days, the Treaty of 1866 was signed, uh, and there are multiple treaties. There is not just one treaty, but the treaties of 1866 were signed in Fort Smith, and many things that happened in, in, in Indian Territory were overseen by federal authorities in Fort Smith. But uh, my dad's from the Oklahoma side, my mom's from the Arkansas side, but I still claim Oklahoma and Arkansas as home. I began researching my Oklahoma family in 1991, discovered a Choctaw Freedman legacy uh, far more than I had grown up hearing about, wrote a book in 1993 about them, um, and re, um, what's, well, I'll say I expanded that book in 2007. I have been researching the freedmen, all five tribes, steadily since that discovery of the family records in 1991. Oklahoma freedmen, oh my gosh, a history that is incredible. It's part of a history that they don't teach you, but it's a rich history that's right there to be learned, and it is an incredible story. Uh, what's the name of your book, Angela? Well, my first book, Black Indian Genealogy Research, an expanded edition, which you can get off of Amazon. And this past year, uh, I was blessed to be able to publish a book, uh, Freedmen of the Frontier. And that was volume one that consisted of profiles of Cherokee, Choctaw, and Chickasaw Freedmen families. Volume two will be out within the next month. And that will consist of a profile of Creek and Seminole Freedmen families. The two-volume set is called, again, Freedmen of the Frontier, available on Amazon. You got it. Thanks a lot, Angela. Now, Terry Ligon, if you would please, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, for me, I grew up in Los Angeles, what is known as Watts, California. Um, throughout my childhood, I never knew very much about my family's history. And it wasn't until about 1989 when my father gave me these big cardboard boxes full of photos and family heirlooms that I discovered a picture in it that was quite interesting because I thought it was a white woman. And when I asked my father about it, he uh, told me that it was his Indian grandmother. Uh, 
uh, I never heard anything about Indians, and it never really occurred to me uh, anything about Indian territory until I started doing research because I've always known it as Oklahoma, where they grew up, my mother and father. Um, once I started to investigate this wild tale of his, I discovered that she actually was in a history book, and she claimed to have Indian ancestry, Chickasaw, uh, uh, Chickasaw Indian, uh, to be specific. And from that point on, uh, I started to look into it, and then finally one year I uh, got a computer, got online, because nobody else could tell me anything about this history. I happened to bump into Angela. Angela, where I found out she had this book, it clued me in to start looking for a different type of history that was never spoken in the home, and that was nothing I read in the book. And years coming forward, I uh, finally found out that half of what my father was telling me was true. He wow. did have an Indian grandmother. Wow. She fought to uh, be included in the tribe, and her, her lawsuit, along with about 2,000 other people, went all the way to the Supreme Court, but was never heard. And so since that time, I've been researching specifically Choctaw and Chickasaw Freedmen, uh, concentrating on the case that my uh, great-grandmother had, and trying to put together uh, blogs and information that people also who were in the same situation I am that didn't know much about the history could learn. Wow. Uh, and then also uh, my dad told me he knew you and I was able to connect you with him. And then Angela had a chance to speak with him too. And he just, he pulled out every piece of paper, every book and everything he could find. And uh, you told me, he said, you need to really listen to your dad. And my dad's name is John P. Bailey. And he is from Ardmore, Oklahoma at that time period, believe it or not, before Ardmore became Carter, it became Carter County, it was what a, a area called Pickens County. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. But what could you say about my dad, Terry? Well, he was probably one of the first persons I met at the Oklahoma Historical Society. And I remember it vividly. You know, we were down in the basement, and I was looking for some information, and your father approached me with this piece of paper. He said, look, these are your people. They, they need to be on the roads just like these other people. And that's how we met, and we've kept in, in touch with with each other through the years. And I was so glad to uh, become reacquainted with him recently. So, and glad to see that he's still around there, kicking and looking and researching. And I'm I'm, I'm proud to uh, know him as a friend. Well, he's he's working on his book right now, and I keep telling him, Dad, you got to get it together. Whatever I need to do to help you, I'll be more than glad to do that. Now, bringing Angela back in the conversation, because we got to hit it, folks. Y'all got to take notes here. Let's go back, because I was taught in school there was the United States of America. They had the 13 colonies. And then when the Civil War came, they had the Confederate States of America, and that was only for four years. And Jefferson Davis was the president of it. It was the North and the South. But then what about Indian Territory? So, Angela, would you set the stage for us at this time, please? Well, it is very interesting in terms of looking at history, and yes, the United States of America and the, the four-year existence of uh, the so-called so-called Confederate States of America. But the fact is that many people do not understand that um, the issue from the very beginning of what people refer to as the United States has always been an issue of land. It's all about mm -hmm. the land. Uh, whether one wants to look at it from the perspective of 1619 or 20, if you're from New England, and uh, the westward expansion, everything was about land. And as white settlers were coming into North America, they were saying, well, these people who are already here, they got to get out the way. Um, all of these issues, and I'm going to fast forward 200 years to around 1815, 1816, at that time, President Andrew Jackson, who was very much interested in seeing that other lands would be a part of what, what would become the United States as we know them today, he was meeting very early on, and we're talking more than two decades before the Chickasaws would be removed. But he met with Chickasaw officials in 1815 in Franklin, Tennessee, about, you know, hey, well, maybe, you know, y'all need to move a little bit west. Remember, it's all about 
the land. Now, the one thing that happened, fast forward maybe another 15 years from that meeting in Franklin, Tennessee, it was decided in the Treaty of Dancing Rabbit, signed in 1829 with the Choctaw Nation, with the Choctaw Indians, that they would indeed head westward. There were a lot of articles part of that treaty. Article 14 said, well, if you want to remain here, you Choctaw folks, you can remain here, but you're going to have to become citizens of the United States. But the rest of you go west. Subsequent treaties were signed with other tribes. They also went west. Of course, the most famous of those removals is the removal of Cherokees, often referred to as the Trail of Tears. Um, Called it is called that because of the numerous deaths that occurred on that removal. They lost a third of their population. But what is not told? The Africans who were on the trail. These tribes known as the five so-called, and I put it in quotation marks, civilized tribes, were so-called because of the fact that they had had early contact with European settlers. Many of them had in fact started having relationships with Indian women, started having children, and those children, those biracial, bilingual children, spoke the Indian language of their mother and the English language of their fathers. They became an elite ruling class, and like their fathers, they began to embrace other aspects of the culture, religion. Many of them are Christian, particularly if you look at the Presbyterian Church and its influence in Choctaw and Chickasaw nations and the influence on early education. But they also, because these were tribes located in the South and these tribal leaders were very, very acculturated to European culture and practices, we're talking 1800s now, they were also slaveholders. Mm-hmm. And so they took enslaved people with them. 1830, 31, the first arrival of the Choctaws and Chickasaws in the middle of the winter. For the next decade and a half, the next 15 or so years, here come the Chickasaws, here come the Cherokees, here come the Creeks. And then, of course, in the latter part of that removal period, here comes another group of people from Florida. They had all, they had been for many decades living among Africans who had escaped from the Carolinas, and they also came into Florida, from Florida and were also eventually relocated after the Second Seminole War. So all these different things were happening, but a group of people arrived in this territory called Indian Territory. Now, what we know as Western Oklahoma was Oklahoma Territory. That was land open for white settlement, even though there were also Native people there. But you had people who are now settling in the East, setting up a Southern-style black chattel slavery system. During those years, those black folks resisted. 1842, Cherokee freedmen, well, Cherokee free, they were not free people. Cherokee slaves revolted and tried to make it to Mexico. They were eventually caught, and their effort was squashed. Some were executed. Six years later, a group of Seminoles did leave and made it to Mexico. 1861, don't forget the war started in 61, Mm -hmm. but guess what happened in the Choctaw Nation? A slave rebellion. You look in early tribal newspapers, Choctaw Intelligencer, Cherokee Phoenix, you see runaway slave notices. Slavery was not a crystal stare for those who were enslaved in Indian Territory. After the war, those five tribes signed treaties in Fort Smith, and some uh, were said, okay, well, they're here, they're part of our community. Some resisted vehemently. Choctaws and Chickasaws did. Eventually, in 1883, Chickasaws did make citizens out of their former slaves. Chickasaws never did. But the territory, the territories were shrunk. Well, the, the tribal nations, independent sovereign nations, were shrunk as a punishment to these tribes because the tribes themselves fought for the South. They fought for the Confederacy in the Civil War. They wanted to be able to keep their so-called system of enslavement of African people. But nevertheless, the war ended. Thankfully, the right side won. But uh, it was still a different story that was happening in five nations, north of Texas and west of Arkansas and south of Kansas, called Indian Territory. Those five nations had different languages, different cultures, and different methods of interacting with African people. It was not until 1907, suddenly all those freedmen from their respective tribes suddenly became United States citizens for the first time. And the first law, which we know, Senate Bill Number 1, 
made them immediately second-class citizens in the new state of Oklahoma. But the greater story is the story among the freedmen themselves, incredible stories of resistance, resilience. I'm just going to stop there. Wow. I know Terry has tons of stuff to Terry, say. Terry, pick it up from there if you would, sir. Well, um, once, once we uh, come forward after the Civil War, where my uh, research goes is in the Chickasaw and Choctaw nations because, as she said, these were people who were never citizens of the United States, the Chickasaw, uh, former slaves of the Chickasaws. And because of that, they had an adversarial relationship not only with the Chickasaws but with the United States government where they were always fighting to get rights within a, a country that they were not citizens and because of that, it generated a lot of paperwork. So when you're talking about the history of Oklahoma, we have years and years and years of documented history that preceded the state of Oklahoma, and yet very few people know anything about it, uh, especially the people who have a vested interest in that history. When you uh, discuss this stuff among black people who have a connection to Oklahoma, the vast majority of them have no clue about their history and, uh, and if you talk about uh, to people within the United States, they don't have a clue that slavery existed within the borders of Oklahoma. So wow. what we have is a, a vast amount of information that is not only not taught in the United States schools, it's not taught in the Oklahoma schools, because you'll find so many people who just don't have a clue what had uh, transpired uh, in that, in that uh, state. Wow. Now, from my understanding, um, I was this documentary I was reading. It said that when they was looking at uh, creating and coming up with a name for Oklahoma, they were going to name it uh, after Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln. Is that correct? Well, that was an effort that became. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Terry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Uh, oh, okay. Because that, um, that was an Oklahoma. effort. You had a group of people who were encouraging people to migrate. Let's, get, let's put a time stamp on this. We're talking now, <clears throat> the late 1880s, 1890s, there was a lot of terrorism occurring in the United States, in the South. People were being uh, not just physically killed, lynched, uh, but being terrorized, communities of people. Many people wanted to go west. You had a movement going west to Kansas, known as the Exodusters, you had, and the remnants of, of one of those migrations, of course, is the town of Nicodemus in Kansas, in Union County, Kansas. But you also had people such as Pat Singleton, people such as Edwin McCabe, an auditor um, from Kansas. People were saying, well, you know what? There's also fertile land. There's good land in, in this, 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 this territory out here west of Arkansas. In 1889, what did I say in the beginning? It's all about the land. Many white settlers were also looking at the fact that, hey, we got to move west. 1889 was the Oklahoma land rush, which people were technically supposed to come into and just occupy lands at the sound of the gun, um, uh, lands along the Cherokee Strip. But it was literally almost all over what we'd call the territory. Mm -hmm. But the fact is that people wanted land. And so you had people in Kansas also telling black folks in the South, Get to Kansas. You know, there's some little towns that are cropping up. And, uh, hey, this is rich, fertile land. Come and get there. So a discussion occurred. Maybe we could make this an all-black uh, state. Well, yeah. no, but there's some Indians there. Okay, mm -hmm. let's make it a black and Indian state. Mm -hmm. What should it be called? Oh, we're going to call it the state of Lincoln. That was going to be the name of this so-called, this plan that some people had to create this all-black and Indian state. Of course, it was never going to happen. You had other parties saying, oh, no, there's some other land that we want. And, of course, that did not occur. Yeah. In addition, you had people who were settling in little communities. The land allotment process began because Oklahoma statehood was, was coming soon. It was coming eventually. And, of course, some people were chased out of one part of the Chickasaw Nation, had to move into Choctaw Nation lands and settle there within the tribes. Land was held in common. And these are people who had the culture, 
whether they were connected by blood didn't matter. They lived within an Indian culture and an Indian community. They had been enslaved for decades in, in, in Indian culture. So they themselves lived in the territory. That was their home. And so you had a situation where little communities were there. People got land allotments. And of course, this, this whole process of land and the whole people talk about the Dawes role. That's the right. Dawes role yes. was yes. to prove eligibility for land hold that thought I, hold land. that thought i want to talk about that i got to take a break people are wanting to know more information because i want to talk about the dogs and everything all about that because there were some families we got to break down and we're going to talk about it i'm cedric bailey we're talking with angela walton raji and of course terry ligan and we got more coming up so keep it right here Liberty Mutual Insurance Company helps you customize your home insurance so you only pay for what you need. Unlike things you paid for you didn't need, like that much-needed 125-inch flat-screen TV. It's hurting my eyes a lot. For your 100-square-foot bedroom. My neck isn't so much stiff as it's completely stuck. With Liberty Mutual, get customized home insurance so you only pay for what you need. Uh-oh, I'm seeing color splotches. Liberty, 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 Liberty. Only pay for what you need at LibertyMutual.com. Howdy folks, Colonel Sanders here, and I never exaggerate when it comes to fried chicken. But KFC Original Recipe Fried Chicken is the most delicious chicken in the history of the universe. And now you get two pieces of my 11 Herbs and Spices Masterpiece as a two-piece $5 fill-up with mashed potatoes and gravy, a biscuit, a cookie, and a drink. Or if that's not your thing, you can get one of my other $5 fill-up meals. Get a $5 fill-up delivered or at a KFC. KFC, it's finger-licking good. Limited time only. Prices and participation may vary. Tax extra. Delivery service and additional fees apply. Sharing the good news. Cedric Bailey's Traffic Jam. And welcome back. I'm Cedric Bailey along with Terry Lagan. And also we have Angela, Walton, Raji. And we're talking, of course, about Oklahoma history. Uh, it is, of course, black history as well because we're all together in one. And before I go any further, Terry, what is your email address? And then Angela following Terry. How can people follow you and contact you? Well, I've had this one for about 100 years, and I keep it just in case somebody from back in the day wants to reach me. It's estalusty at AOL.com. Let me spell that for you. E-S-T-E-L-U-S-T-I at AOL.com. Thank you. Uh, Angela? Yes, I can be reached at my Gmail address. That's A-Y-Walton-Raji at gmail.com all right now dolls commission one time you and i talked and i I mentioned about the name of jesse mcgee he and many other families who fought for their families now jesse was an indian and he was married to a black woman and you know their names and you mentioned other families because you sat down and talked with them talk about jesse and all the indian families and then the dolls commission because he fought them and won so please explain it angela well it's it's very interesting i think i think i'm going to throw the ball to you in a second terry i i just want to just mention that uh uh dora and jesse mcgee have an incredible story but their story is similar to many 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 other families and um, in fact, I just completed uh, back in November um, a 30-day series where every single day I profiled a family, uh, uh, a blended family, a, a black and native family of individuals who had been placed on a Freedman role as opposed to a role by blood, and that will tie to the Dawes role in a second. But um, uh, Doran Jesse McGee, Joe and Dillard Perry, the Chawana Chubbies. There are multiple, multiple families like this. And, uh, and of course, as Terry uh, can talk about, not just with, of course, Betty Ligon and, and the 2,000-plus the um, litigants. She was the head litigant of Equity Case 7071. This is a case of, yes, uh, an Indian father and uh, an African mother, as was the case of Joe and Dillard Perry. The difference being, and what did I say in the beginning, it's all about the land. If one was placed, especially 
in the Choctaw and Chickasaw nations. If you were placed on the Freedman Roll, you were going to get an allotment of 40 acres. Now, 40 acres is not a bad chunk of land. I wish I had six acres myself, but 40 acres, which was kind of standard uh, in many places, considered a decent chunk of land. Every person got it. But if you were placed on a blood roll, there is a difference, and this is why Jesse started to, to to say, wait a minute, and why the same thing was coming with Dillard Perry and the same and, and his his mother challenging the system in the same way with other cases and Betty being the head litigant, is that if you were placed on the Chickasaw Roll by blood, you were not going to get forty acres. You were going to get and you can correct me, Terry, I believe it's three hundred plus acres, correct? 320 acres, to be exact. 320 was, uh, acres. to every man, woman, and child. Wow, that's a lot of land. Miles. That's a lot of land. That is. And when, when I'm going to turn it over to Terry family. to expand. Go ahead, Terry. She said, uh, yeah, we, go ahead. Well, when you consider some of the families uh, consisted of maybe six to ten, and in some cases more than ten uh, individuals, that became uh, quite a bit of land that they were going to acquire. Um, the Jesse and Dora McGee case is quite interesting and not unique, quite frankly, because um, you had many people who had similar situations where they had an Indian ancestor, mainly a male, who uh, fathered children by someone of African descent. Now, it's interesting in the case of Jesse and Dora because Jesse was alive during this time and was capable of fighting for his children, where in a lot of instances, you will find that these men who fathered these children may have died before the Dawes of Land allotment process was going on, and therefore they weren't there to fight for the children if they chose to fight for them. They couldn't attest that this was their child. So the Dawes Commission typically would uh, indicate that they had a parent that was not recognized, and that's a very key word in all of this, that the parent was not recognized as a citizen and therefore would not show up on the Dawes card. Therefore, you could not enroll that child as someone as a citizen by blood. Now, um, I found that uh, one, Jerry, Jesse was a blind man. Wow. And so that, that makes his um, effort quite different and in, in, in something to really uh, hold uh, high. But also, they were not married at the time. They were forced to get married, which is prohibited by the tribe. There's a stipulation in there. There's no such thing as uh, intermarriage by um, a, a Chickasaw Indian and anyone of African descent. Mm. So it was a contradiction that they prohibited a marriage, but they forced them to get married in order to legalize the children. Wow. Amazing. So, you had that going on. And you had other uh, children, and I think they use these labels in, in an effort to delegitimize these children and divest them of their 320 acres of land. Wow. And you, you think about it, at the time there were more than 1,500 or possibly 2,000 people who were looking at 320 acres of land. And at the time, <coughs> that was uh, land that amounted to 15 to $20 million. Wow. So you can see uh, there, there was no uh, small issue that was going on in Indian Territory in the pursuit of land. And let's look at it on another level. Go ahead. That land underneath it had natural resources. Oh, yes. So that fight was not just for the surface land, but it was for those natural resources. Wow. And when you look at Oklahoma, and it was considered to have probably the finest quality of asphalt. You had oil and gas. And during this time, you had uh, what is standard oil was already out there surveying this land during the Civil War. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so, you know, this it, it goes beyond race. It goes beyond color. There's all types of dynamics that enter into the picture. In, in, in the state the of Oklahoma. Yeah, in the state of Oklahoma, we have Kerr McGee. We have Conoco. We have Phillips up in the Bartersville area. Then Kerr McGee down south in Garvin County and in the Winniewood area. So definitely, uh, it's still today, you see the resources come from that. Now, I want to go back to something from the land run, Angela, that you mentioned, uh, because at the sign period, people need to understand 
uh, there that there was no capital of Oklahoma. Then they they split Indian right. Territory, and then they went west to Oklahoma Territory. So that would be west of Oklahoma City. But Oklahoma City did not come in together until April the twenty second of eighteen eighty nine. So the capital at that time period would have been Guthrie. I think that's where the first capital was. Guthrie was the very first capital. Of even the new state of Oklahoma, Guthrie was the initial capital. That is correct. But they, definitely they stole it. Oklahoma City was part of Oklahoma territory. Right. Yes, and they stole that. They sp- stole it one night. You know, just went up there. The next day you woke up, hey, we got a new capital. <laughs> There's, uh, there have well, been all to, kinds of stories to, around that. You have to that, remember uh, the forces in Oklahoma City. I think for me, the story goes way deeper beyond, than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, genealogy and family, because the the bigger picture <coughs> says that the uh, fight for politic, political, and economic strength lies in everything that the Dawes Commission was doing. Okay, people look at that now as if, oh, gee, I want to be on the in, in the in the tribe and I want to get my citizenship, but they they fail to realize what was really going on at that time. The United States was trying to divest those. Uh, tribes of their lands in since 1887 before 1898 gotcha. but the five tribes they refused to go along with the program and it wasn't until uh, i think uh, 1897 that they finally got the tribes to uh, sign off and allow the Dawes commission to uh, break up their lands in common gotcha and so you have more to that history again people don't understand uh, history and black history in oklahoma or indian territory because when they look at it, all you hear is the trail of tears, the trail of tears. And like Angela said, they never, they rarely, if ever, talk about those African uh, tears on the trail. Well, and a lot of people lost their lives because the Chickasaw Indians came from the great state of, of Mississippi. You can look on the map and you'll see Tupelo, Mississippi, because I have the opportunity to be on the radio. And here we have Tupelo, Oklahoma. And then we have Tishomingo, Mississippi. And then you got Tishomingo, Oklahoma, which is the was the capital for the Chickasaw Nation. And they re- later moved it to uh, Ada. And if you look at Ada, Ada was in Pontotoc County. You look at the map of Mississippi, you'll see Pontotoc County. Pontotoc. Yeah. And then Absolutely. You, and then when you go down to Choctaw Nation, was it was it Atoka? Was that or Potawatomi? Atoka. Atoka, yes. That, Atoka. Atoka. And then the capital is now in, in Durant, I believe. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, uh, that is correct. That's where the, and the Choctaw headquarters, capital I believe, is, is in Tuscahoma. Yes. I know about Tuscahoma. And then the Heritage Center is in Tuscahoma, right. And then we have in Creek Nation, is that Muskogee or Okmulgee? Okmulgee is the capital of the Creek Nation. Uh, A lot of things happened in Muskogee because the Indian Agency was in Muskogee at the time. And, in fact, on Agency Hill, I don't know how well you know Muskogee, uh, the actual agency was at the top of the hill. um, And, excuse me, what is now the site of the Five Civilized Tribes Museum, that was actually a Freedman school, Although Evangel Mission was the name of the school, by the way, it was a Freedman school. But uh, ironically, there's not even one historical marker on the ground. And if you go to the Five Tribes Museum today on Honor Heights in Muskogee, you'll see historical markers all over that ground. And they have all kinds, yet not one to indicate that this was a Freedman school. But then there are a whole lot of missing landmarks, and that's another yeah. That's another episode. But, so, yeah. But yeah, the, that, that is part of the tragedy of Oklahoma's history, that the fact that black people were there from the beginning, Yes. and yet you have very yeah. little to recognize their contributions to that state. Wow. It, it, to me, it's a crime. Wow. It's a crime. And yeah. after a century of, well, I won't say education, I'll say miseducation, uh, you have now black people who are very Afrocentric who themselves don't know the history. They've never been taught it. They've been basically eliminated from the pages of history. Yeah. But thankfully, the records are there. It's yeah. for us. It's our responsibility to go after them, tell them, promote them, and teach them to the next generation. Boy, Angela and Terry, you yeah, got that's sometimes that, that, that Well, that's what frustrates me sometimes is that people want to uh, invent a history that I find unnecessary because what we have as a history of black people in Oklahoma and Indian Territory is so prevalent and so well documented. You don't have to invent it. Yeah. Well, you don't have to invent anything. Well, let me ask you this. Now, the Seminole Nation was in Seminole, Oklahoma, and it's the smallest land. And then you had the Creek, I mean, the, uh, the, the Cherokee, was that in Tahlequah? 
That's where yes. the uh, headquarters of the, the of the Cherokee Nation is in Tahlequah today. It's been there, um, of course, since the time of uh, removal, since the arrival of, of Cherokee people in what can, we call Northeast Oklahoma. But, yeah, it's Tahlequah. Can you yeah. tell me about that treaty? Because my dad told me something about it, and, they, and I think the way it worked, if you were north of the Arkansas River in Tulsa, you were in, of course, Cherokee Nation in south of the Arkansas River was Creek Nation, but then they had this treaty of 1866. So, Angela, explain that, if you would, please. After the Civil War, um, of course, the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution required that slavery was abolished. But you had five sovereign nations that were close to the United States, but they were not a part of the United States. So virtually they could ignore the 13th Amendment because they're not a state. They were sovereign nations. And it was determined, wow, we're going to have to make officially these tribes abolish slavery. And slavery, of course, still continued in many places, even in the United States. We know that because former slaveholders are not going to give up their free workers, their free labor force willingly. Um, so, of course, uh, there was a need then to enforce the abolishment of slavery. That became the treaty of 1866. Now, there are other parts of the treaty. It wasn't exclusively for ending slavery. The treaty had geographic boundaries. This is where your nation is going to end because the United States punished all five tribes for fighting with the South. They wow. punished them. Now, they didn't punish the state of Mississippi or Alabama for, mm. for seceding, but they punished these five Indian nations for having signed an alliance in 1861 with the Confederacy because the tribes that fought in the Civil War, with exception of three units, all of the Indian regiments in the Civil War were Confederate because wow. they were fighting to keep slavery in their way of life. Yeah. The 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Indian Home Guards were Union regiments. These are the groups of people who followed Chief Apopaleahola, who was Creek, who went into Kansas. They're trying to get out the way of the war. And then the Indian Home Guards were organized there. There were black men in the Home Guards. I've worked on a piece documenting the black men in the Indian Home Guards. They were bilingual. Most of them were Creek, although there were some Cherokees there as well. There were other men of color, men of African descent, who went to Kansas. They became part later of the United States Colored Troops. And But initially, when the Home Guards were organizing, they became part of the 1st and 2nd Kansas Colored. And they, in fact, saw... A battle before the guys in the movie Glory, the 54th Massachusetts, they weren't even in the war for another year and a half. These men from the territory, African men, were fighting in the Battle of Island Mound in 1862, pretty early. They were the first ones to fight. But in terms of uh, the treaties themselves, something had to be done between the United States and every tribe, Cherokee, Choctaw, Chickasaw, Creek and Seminole, to say, no, slavery is abolished. That was one of the clauses in every single one of those treaties. You are to make them citizens. You are to give them the rights and privileges of citizens by blood in your nation. They should have suffrage, suffrage rights as well. They should be able to participate as now full citizens. And we know that's not always enforced. We know that from U.S. history, it took, what, 1964 to get a Voting Rights Act. But nevertheless, it went on the books as such. And for the most part, four out of those five tribes did comply. Some of that was based on their culture. Seminoles had a very strong relationship with African-descended people. So did Creeks. Some of your best interpreters and leaders in the Creek Nation were African men who were not only bilingual, but they were advocates. They traveled to Washington with the tribe. But in Chickasaw country, they signed the treaty, but they never admitted their former slaves as citizens. Never, ever did. Even though they said they were going to, they didn't. Choctaws didn't well, until 1883. Let me say a little bit about that, though, because in okay, 1873 – the Chickasaw Nation did pass legislation to adopt yes, their slaves, but because the United States never ratified that legislation right. uh, to this day, uh, that gave them the way out so that they would have not have to uh, uh, ratify that legislation, so they uh, revoked it, and therefore the, the Chickasaw freedmen were never adopted. Part of the reason was the population of freedmen within the Chickasaw Nation was pretty much equal to those of uh, citizens and, white, and intermarried whites. Yeah. And they were afraid of being perceived as a black tribe, and they felt that if given their uh, political rights, that at one point they could come and take over the tribe. 
Wow. Really that was there. Yeah. Also, when you look at the treaty between the Choctaws and Chickasaws in the United States government, and you compare it to those of the Creek, Seminole, and Cherokee, there was no enforcement mechanism for right. the uh, Choctaws and Chickasaws to actually adopt their slaves. They were given an option if they chose to adopt those former slaves. Wow. And the United States was uh, supposed to remove them from the nation if they did not adopt them. And if the uh, freedmen, former slaves, decided and volunteered to leave the nation, well, you have a group of people who have uh, made their homes among these people. They spoke the language. They ate the same food. They basically had the similar culture. But to ask them to leave and leave their family, they were not, they're not willing to do that. Wow. And as a result, that's why you, you have the book now by Dr. Daniel Littlefield, uh, Chickasaw Freeman, that people without a country, yeah. because they were never adopted. Wow. You know, and true. I guess the question does remain, the, it, the, because it was a treaty of supreme law, does it still have any effect? Man, we got so much to talk about. Angela, do you have a website? Because people, they're going to want to research this. They're going to they're gonna need to come and talk to the kids. They got to have programs to uh, educate. Do you guys have a website or information that people can go ahead and follow up on it? Because I know you've done a lot of research, Angela. Yes, uh, I do have a website, African, Native, African, hyphen, or dash, NativeAmerican.com. And I also have a blog, African, nativeamerican.blogspot.com and then of course I have a similar blog exclusively for uh, that focuses on Choctaw and Chickasaw history and legacy it's called uh, Choctaw Freedman M-E-N legacy.blogspot.com that is a blog also I will mention we have a very active group on Facebook and it's called Choctaw Chickasaw Friedman Descendants. That's a group on Facebook, and you can send in a request to join the group. All right. Terry, how about yourself? Well, before I get to mine, she failed to mention one, and that was the Aphrogenis site that started it all. True. There is a message board on Aphrogenis, which is the oldest African-American genealogy, ongoing genealogy site, and part of the old Aphrogenis website is a message board that has been going on since 1997, where people have been sending in messages over the years. Hi, can you help me find my ancestors? They were um, Stevenson, from the Chickasaw Nation. Where do I go? What do I look for? And the, and that, even though the majority of activity is now on, on Facebook, the message board is searchable. And uh, you can look at old messages from 10 years ago, 15 wow. years ago, where, and, and you can type in a keyword, your family surname, and see what comes up. It's Afrogenius.com, A-F-R-I-G, is in George, E-N-E-A-S, dot com, slash, forum, F-O-R-U-M-E. The E is added on just to distinguish it from the other Afrogenius message boards wow. that focus on other states. You know, you, you guys are making me think about a lot of things, but I'm going to tell everybody this. In the future, we will be having other conversations. Uh, the school that my parents went to and my father went to was Ardmore Douglas. A lot of people didn't know, but right down the road where my office is on Burton Street is where the schools Dunbar and Douglas were uh, born because of the Indians who helped them start the school and, and, and they did it through the church. That's how it was done back during that time period. In upcoming sessions, we're going to talk about, because uh, uh, we're coming up on the 100-year anniversary of uh, the Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. There's so much on that particular story. And also, did you know that East Central University, they were established by the Indians in Ada. Uh, the Chickasaw Nation set that up. And then in Southeastern University in, in Durant, Oklahoma, that was created by the Choctaw. So we got so much to share with you. And I think we need to put this all together in a museum form and, and get facts together. We need to have seminars. We need to talk to people. If you have any artifacts and information you want to share with us, I'm going to make sure that you reach out. You can send me an email to Bailey Cedric at Hotmail.com. That's Bailey Cedric at Hotmail.com. If you'd like to get this podcast and share, we have so much to share with you. And now is the time to get this out. Terry and Angela, I'm coming to you. Uh, Terry, you go first. And Angela, you close out your final comments that you want to share with everybody that heard what we had to say today. You first, Terry. Well, let me give you a couple of sites that I uh, blog. Um, first one is Black and red journal dot blogspot 
com, and the other is Betty's List dot blogspot dot com. Betty's List deals with all of the people who were seeking to be transferred from the Freedmen Row to the By Blood Row in the Chickasaw and Choctaw Nation. Black and Red Journal is just subjects that uh, I find interesting uh, during my research that I post uh, in general about uh, what I consider the five slaveholding tribes. Uh, and But again, my concentration is Choctaw and Chickasaw uh, nations and freedmen. Wow. Um, I, like you, would love to see more people learn and contribute their stories, their images about these people, because as long as they're uh, just names on a piece of paper, it's not real to a lot of people. But once we can bring some life into it and show an image of these original dogs and rollies, it takes on a different life all its own. Now, I've been able to collect some, but I want to see more people. We need to have seminars, conferences, and educate people a lot more about this because there's so much misinformation out there that tends to get uh, lost and, and have people go in divergent uh, roles and trying to make up their own history, make up their own tribes, when we don't have to do that. We have enough uh, information in history to empower ourselves if we sat down there and just researched it and discussed it with each other. So hopefully that day is coming. Well, thank you, Terry, so much. Angela. Well, certainly I want to also thank you, uh, Mr. Bailey, for even allowing us oh, yeah. this opportunity to share uh, just a few pieces of information, because this information in itself, in and of itself, is very enriching, it's very empowering. Um, it's part of a history, well, that does belong to us, and it's our responsibility to certainly tell our stories. Um, yes. certainly supporting what Terry just said, um, because, again, we don't have to invent things. We have no need for that. Our ancestors are waiting to be discovered, who want to be discovered, and it's our responsibility to do that. Just as if you, in your home you have pictures of people on your family that on the mm -hmm. wall that mean something to you, and that's your responsibility to hang those pictures and tell the children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews who they are. We have a responsibility within our own community to tell each other the people from whom we come. It's our business not to get mad at, oh, they haven't taught us about this. Well, you can read, and we, we have the ability to show you where some of those resources are. And one of the things that I like to do, and I have sometimes in my presentations with uh, a quote by a woman who was interviewed in uh, the 1930s um, during the era of the WPA narratives and in Oklahoma had the Indian pioneer interviews. And one was a, a woman, she was a Cherokee freed woman, and uh, her name was Sarah Wilson. And she just sort of summed up her story very, very simply. She said, I was a Cherokee slave, and I am a Cherokee freed woman. And besides that, I'm quite a Cherokee myself. Mm. And she simply ends it saying, and this is the way it is. Well, I simply say to you, Mr. Bailey, this is the way it is. Yes. We have a rich story to tell, and it's our responsibility to tell it. Thank you so much for this opportunity to chat with you. No problem. More to come. Hey, yeah, by the way. Thank you as well. Thank you, Terry. And by the way, folks, if, uh, if you can, get a chance to watch the movie Harriet. I had a chance. Uh, did y'all get a chance to see Harriet yet, by the way? I've got my tickets. going this week. Oh, definitely. I'll put that on. I'll, I'll share some things from what I watched in that movie that was incredible, too, as well. And it'll just make you look twice in life. And it just, it's a shame that, you know, they wanted to put this woman's picture on the $20 bill. You know what I mean? For oh, what yeah. she did. But, but I'm going to stop right there because I don't want to get my blood pressure up. I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> well, Cedric, I think what you just said, and it's, I think uh, when black people are confronted with the institution of slavery, we tend to run from it because of the stigma attached mm -hmm. to it. Yeah. Yeah. What I have found through my research is that it's quite empowering. Once you know who you are and your people and the struggles that they fought for us to be here, that's nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah. And yet we right. we don't want to research it because we're going to be stuck with that negative uh, idea that we we were somehow the problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't get that. We were never the problem. We were never the problem. We can never be the problem, but we can be the solution. Wow. 
Well, we got to go. Thanks a lot, both of you. And I appreciate you taking the time to be with us as we share some knowledge on our African-American history and our Indian history. I'm Cedric Bailey, along with Angela Walton and Raji. And then, of course, my man, Terry Ligon. See, I mean, see, I want to say Ligon. <laughs> I got to go, man. You got to. It's take- okay. It's okay. You know, I roll with it. I roll with it because when I show up in Oklahoma, that's who I am. I'm a Ligon. <laughs> All right, Mr. Ligon. walking down the street and they say, that's a Ligon. All right. Thank you so much. You guys have a great day. Every day I wake and everything is broken Turning off my phone just to get out of bed Get home every evening and history's repeating Turning off my phone cause it's hurting my chest Can't sit and hope I can't just sit and pray that I can find the love when all I see is pain. Fall into my knees, and though I do believe, I can't just breathe, baby, breathe. Oh, 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 I can't just breathe, baby, breathe. All I hear is voices, everybody's talking Nothing real is happening cause nothing is new Now when all is tragic and I just feel sedated Why do I feel numb? Is that all I can do? Yeah, in heaven knows I'm not helpless Yeah, but I'm only Can't sit and hope I can't just sit and pray Just preach, baby, preach.